0: on another episode of Imagine Publicity on Air. I'm so happy that you're here today. I'm your host, Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity, and I'd like to bring you in on a lot of interesting topics, issues, and authors and books on a a semi-regular basis. I don't know how many people out there who have not been touched by suicide of a loved one or a friend. Even I have. With a death by suicide, we're left with a lot of unanswered questions and what ifs. Had, had I only seen something different, had I only said something different, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And we're always looking for that piece of the puzzle to give this act a sensible, logical conclusion when, when there is none. Um, We're quick to look for something or someone to blame, and, and we create theories in our heads and roll around in there a lot, and we're angry, we're grieving loss, and we feel guilt that we didn't see what led up to this act. I usually don't seek out guests for this podcast. I have plenty that come to me, but my guest today is an exception. I, I was privileged to hear the podcast he recorded with another client, Sally Spencer Thomas. And as I listened to him, I wanted to hear more of his story and I wanted to hear more about his book. And I wanted to share it with you. Um, He's a top-notch bodyboarder, a yoga instructor, kind of the ultimate image of the California surfer dude. And he's also the co-founder of Nature Unplugged. He lost his father to suicide when he was only six years old. And the impact it left on him and his life is explained in a beautifully written book, Ashes in the Ocean. Please welcome Sebastian Sloven. Hey Sebastian, thanks for being on today.
1: Hi Delilah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, can you give give us all a little insight into the backstory, your background? Um, who was your father? What was he like? And and what were your fi- family dynamics in your younger years that you can remember?
1: Sure. So my dad, his name is Vernon Sloven, and you know, the best way I can describe him is that he was kind of this living legend or hero, hero figure, at least to me. He grew up in South Africa, and from an early age, he was very successful in a variety of sports and really focused in on swimming, was kind of a champion swimmer from a young age. And you know, he made the South African international team, I think at age 16, and was traveling around the world and competing and then, and then came to the States. To swim got a scholarship to Southern Methodist University in Dallas and uh, you know eventually made his way out to San Diego to la Jolla a suburb of, kind of coastal suburb of San Diego but he you know I think everything he did he seemed to excel you know whether it was business or sports um, at this this just super successful larger than-life character and um, you know that those a lot of my the, the my memories of him are in and around the ocean and you know the ocean's such a kind of a, a wild place but I think my memories of being in the ocean with him was that I was safe when, when he was around.
0: So you know, would you say with your with your dad's success in business and so forth, you kind of led a, a privileged childhood so to speak, maybe you know, yes. not as as much as some, but you know, you had a you had a lot of opportunities in your in your early childhood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was very fortunate to grow up in you know this the place I mentioned, La Jolla. It's a really affluent you know town right on the beach. It's really it's an incredible place. And and yeah, my I had I was fortunate to have a pretty ideal upbringing. You know, a lot of my days were spent at the beach mixing it up with my with my mom and dad, and then. Uh, li- little sister a little bit later but yeah I was um, extremely privileged and you know uh, it was th- th- I think that was one of the most challenging things when when he eventually uh, took his, his own life that I, I just I didn't, I didn't see a lot of the, the dynamics that were maybe happening under the surface or I think he was a lot, keeping a lot of things to himself but in my eyes as a, as a youngster it was pretty ideal
0: Yes, yeah, I can imagine. And being as young as you were when all of this took place, do you feel like you really had any type of understanding about it? What, you know, what was told to you, what, what really happened to your dad? I,
1: I don't think so initially, you know, um, my, I, I write about this in the book when my, my mom told me uh, that he did take his own life. So she, you know, there, so there was nothing hidden from the beginning, but I, I don't. I don't remember fully being able to process that. I just. I think the thing that I. I was clear on from early from, from when I was six, when I was told was that he was not going to come back, and, and that was. I think it just completely, turned my life and my world upside down. You know, went from having this pretty, ideal, carefree existence to now, all of a sudden my hero's gone and. And the, and the family dynamics changed so much when he when he died. You know, I was I saw my mom a lot less. She was kind of put. She she you know did an incredible job to you know worked multiple jobs to provide for my sister and I. And so I became kind of the you know the man of the house, uh, so to speak. At a, a you know right around six years old.
0: Oh, that's so young to take on that type of responsibility and to go through a tragedy like that, that a six year old really, you know, is just really kind of learning about death. If you've lost a a pet or you realize that, you know, that person is not coming back, it's it's for a six year old. I just can't even fathom how you came to some understanding how, as you grew older and were in school, how did you handle um, speaking about it? Were you questioned by your friends or your teachers or any anyone around you about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, just building off what you said just before, too, I, you know, my, I don't think I fully comprehended what happened. You know, I think I knew he wasn't coming back, but I didn't know how to respond. And I think my, my, my response or my reaction to all just overwhelming sadness and, and, and grief was to just kind of shut down. And so I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I, I kind of, you know, I talked to my mom and she, you know, she had described me at the time before my dad passed away as, you know, just really outgoing, asked a ton of questions, um, you know, always talking and chatty and kind of curious to, to kind of more isolating and silent. And I remember you know i spent i didn't want to be around people i didn't want to talk about my dad and as i got older you know to answer your question as i got older i did whatever i could to avoid the topic you know i hardly spoke about my dad let alone his his death and i certainly didn't speak about his his suicide you know there were certain times where it came it came up or i there were a few times where i did try and talk about it and 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 I think what i learned early on was that you know this was not i didn't I, I wasn't comforted by you know what i what i experienced when i shared um i it just it seemed like there you know one thing i observed was you know in my family dynamic for example or in my extended family if we were at you know thanksgiving or dinner and my dad's name came up or the topic of suicide came up for some reason it would you know someone would clear their throat and it would just the topic would instantly be changed so it became clear to me that you know something was, there was not, it was not okay.
0: Yeah. I, I know with my own experience, my, my father-in-law died by suicide and um, this was back in the uh, mid seventies, I think. And no, you didn't talk about it. I mean, of course, everybody knew, but it was, it was the elephant in the room and there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. And, uh it, it's difficult to get through that and to understand it, and I'm, I'm sure you can relate as well. You go back, oh, you saw this, you saw that. Well, if I'd done this, if I'd have done that, maybe not at your young age, um, but maybe as you grew older, those thoughts came into your head. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know if they were conscious at a young age, but I think there's this underlying sense of taking it personally, you know, especially as a young person where I'm I feel like, if only, you know, there must be something wrong with me, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, just general, general not feeling good enough as a son that maybe he'd still be around. You know, I, I know all too well from having, you know, con- a lot of conversations with my mom in years, you know, more recently. And the, you know, from she was an adult, of course. and the, And of course my relationship to my dad is much different than hers to my dad but there was a ton of questioning, you know, if, you know, if only I had done this, or maybe if I had recalled it this time or, or made this decision that things would have been differently. And I think that's such a, you mentioned it in the intro very well, that such a challenging part of losing someone by suicide because there's so many unknowns with so much, you know, you can kind of get into the, oh, I should have done this or should have done that. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then the sad part is, is we're never going we're not going to get those answers. So in, in right. your own healing process, as you grew older, how did you handle those thoughts? I mean, how did you, how, how did you get through each day as far as um, finding ways that were helpful for your healing? Were you, did you ever go into professional therapy or anything like that?
1: I had a few sessions uh, with a counselor when I was, when I was, I think 11 or 12, uh, but it didn't last long. I, from, I remember them you know vaguely and I was fairly shut down during those sessions, but, and it wasn't a lasting uh, thing. And I, I don't know exactly if that was because of finances, you know, things were pretty tight for us financially for a lot of those, a lot of the years after my dad died. Um, you know, and, and, really through my youth, it was really, really rough. I didn't have many good coping mechanisms or, or the, the insights. And I think a lot of that was due to just keeping everything to myself. I, you know, I didn't, didn't, I didn't reach out to friends for help with this or, 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 or adults. And you know, I think one thing that I think saved my life was that I had developed this deep connection to the ocean and largely through my father, a lot of my Memories of him were in the ocean, and when he died, we, he was cremated, and we spread his ashes in the ocean at the place I, I learned to swim. It's called the La Jolla Cove. And after that, you know, no matter how bad things got on land, if I could get myself back to the ocean, it was, that was my place. I felt like I was visiting my dad. He was part of that, that environment, and it was my, my place of refuge. And I think I you know, spent as much time there as I could, and that's why I got into the bodyboarding stuff so much. And, and, um, but I think that was a really a savior to me, my, my connection to the the ocean and to nature.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think anyone and everyone who goes through something like this has a, would take a different path, would find a different way of coping and a different way place to to feel safe I think that's what a lot of it is is feeling personal safety because if this can happen to someone I love can it happen to someone else I love could you know this was your father it happened to your mother and I'm sure you know that is is especially for a child I think adults may be a little differently but especially to a child at six years old or even growing into teens and, you know, they're again having to deal with the stigma. And I think this is something I'm, I'm very happy to see in the last few years. We we're starting to have the conversations. We're starting to change the way this is perceived and. As as much as we can do that, I think we're going to all be better off as, as far as getting through it. Being survivors of suicide is a very uncomfortable place to be, not only in your grief process, but in dealing with, with every other aspect of your life.
1: Yeah, so I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to take us into your book, Ashes yeah. in the Ocean. Um, what led you to write the book? Why? Why did you feel it was important to share the story of your father's suicide? It was something that was on
1: my mind, you know. Ever since I think the book, I'm in my mid-thirties now. The book kind of chronologically goes up to probably my mid-twenties, and ever since um, you know my my early to mid-twenties, i I've, I've had this deep desire to share, you know, my experience to I think with the idea and intention of helping younger versions of myself, you know, uh, I, I, I eventually, you know, as I, I can explain this more, but I eventually came to face my dad's suicide and talk about it and deal with it and feel what was coming up for me and process those emotions. And it took somebody, uh, kind of first opening up to me about their own experience as a survivor of suicide. And so I think that was my, my, my intention and drive and motivation was to, you know, do that for other people. Like, you know, put this in writing, start having these conversations, start speaking about this. So that it's, you know, someone who's feeling like they're completely alone in this and feeling destined to go down, you know, in my case, it's my father's footsteps or family members footsteps that there is, there are other options. It doesn't have to be like that. And I think that that was the driver for wanting to write it.
0: And I, I as in the process of writing this book, you, you went back and you interviewed a lot of people that were, that either grew up with your father or were friends with your father. That was, I, I'm assuming that was also very helpful to you to, to be able to be a part of the stories and to be able to, almost relive his life
1: yeah absolutely i i I went through this and i had this sort of this big change in perspective when i was around 17 when i had this i had a conversation with, with actually one of my dad's friends who i didn't know at the time but his father took his own life when he was a boy and he you know in him he shared with me and i felt like for the first time in my life like here's someone who knows what i've been through and so that was kind of the beginning of me um, talking about it, and then after that conversation, I, I sort of had this this motivation and inspiration to go out and have to learn more about what happened to my dad, why did it happen, even though we, of course even though the, the, the truth of it or the I could never know the full story that died with my with my dad, right? Um, but I went out and, and started having these conversations with different people who knew him from different walks of life, you know business partners and, and just friends childhood friends and you know eventually talked to my mom about it which I hadn't done so and it was incredibly cathartic you know I, I think starting to talk about it starting to it, those were really often emotional conversations and it was I think for the first time I was feeling the sadness and the anger the, the, the variety of emotions that, that I had been kind of suppressing for so many years so it was it was incredible.
0: Right, and your mother, let's go back to your mother and your sister. Your sister was younger than you, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, so she's four years younger than me. she was about two was two at the time when my dad died, yeah
0: mhm and so after after this happened, how did your mother cope how you know obviously she had to pick up the pieces of putting this family together and carry on how did how Exactly. How did this affect her and your family? Yeah. You know, I touched
1: upon this earlier, you know, I think her, the, the initial, her initial response was just to like to go into survival mode. To, 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 there was, we were left in a pretty bad financial place. She needed to make money to provide for us. And that's what she did. She worked her tail off and, and she was incredible. And worked, you know, she was a, a teacher, a speech and language therapist, so worked her regular job and then started seeing clients after work. My memories of my mom, you know, in the years, immediately following my dad's suicide was that she was just going, like going like the energizer bunny, just nonstop, you know, kind of on the brink of exhaustion all the time. And, and, and so I think, that's that was her initial response to it but then i think that also became her work and being in survival mode came became kind of the the way a way to distract from actually processing the loss and the grief and all that you know she didn't really have the didn't have the luxury or i don't know if it's the luxury but she didn't have the time to to take you know a good deal of time off work and to and to process this so it just that didn't really happen and so it was you know, my my way of dealing with it was kind of was running away, avoiding, and she was you know potentially avoiding, but through work and through providing for us, which you know, no fault of her own. It's just just uh, how things worked out.
0: It's it's interesting to me, and and you know, we all have gone through different tragedies or, or crises in our lives from time to time. I think sometimes I think that's what life is all about. You go from one crisis to the next and then you enjoy <laughs> the time in between. And, um, but then I lost my train of thought, but it will come back yeah, to me. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I, think, I guess. I think, yeah, there okay, <laughs> well, I think I was just going to say that sometimes even work is therapy. I know there was a time in my life my husband had a motorcycle accident and broke his back. And like oh, just like the situation with your mother, someone had to provide for the family, and I was it. I mean, luckily, I had a mm. good job, and I was working, but I I couldn't take off work to care for him. I couldn't financially. It um, and and thank God my daughter was at an age where she was such a great help to me in doing that and and was able to care for him, but it it seemed to me that it was good for me to work because work was my therapy. It got me through. It it gave me a purpose. I had a reason to get up and get dressed every morning, and so I can kind of relate to maybe that's how your mother was feeling as well that that. By working, she knew she had full responsibility of her children and and her family, and she, you know, otherwise, what else could you do? I mean, it gave her a reason to get up. It 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 probably took care of some of the the things working through, um, even even not going into therapy.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Is that that it gave her clear direction and clear purpose. And, and yeah, she, I mean, she did what she needed to do and went above and beyond. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't be around, you know, where I'm at if she hadn't done that. I mean, I'm so incredibly grateful for, for her and and her strength and resilience. I think where I didn't get into this in the book and, and I'll, you know, keep this a little bit brief, just out of respect for my, for my mom and her, her privacy. But, um, you know, one thing uh, I, I saw, you know, after years after my, my father's death, many years, my mom eventually retired and, and went through a very difficult time uh, shortly after retiring because it was finally there was space to feel, uh, you know, what she hadn't been feeling for many, many years. And it was really, really tough on her and and, and on our family. And so I think, yeah, like, having something to do is having drive and and something to do is incredibly important. And I think, and, uh, doesn't work if you're, if you're, if you're using that as an avoidance uh, mechanism, right?
0: No, you're right. It comes back to face us one time or another. It may be now or it may be later, but we, we always have to face it. Um, and and that's that is rough. It's a very very difficult time. Let's talk a little bit about the the stigma uh, placed on mental health and and suicide especially. I know you know lately we've had some high profile celebrities who've died by suicide, and it seems that you know if you're if you're on social media. Or when this happens, you see that hotline popping up all over the place, and then, then everybody forgets about it. How do you? How would you like to explain that, and maybe give some insight to listeners as to what that stigma means to a survivor?
1: Certainly, certainly, I think, you know, the 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 number one thing is that you know there as you mentioned, there have been there in recent years a lot more attention I think to suicide and mental health and a lot yeah, a lot more attention in education and work, and some of that comes out of these some of these high profile suicides um, and it's It's really, I think important to see that uh, that people are talking about it, and you know it's in the media and some of that's good, some of that's not so good uh, I think though as a, As a survivor, you know the it's hard to describe the the sensation I think that or the experience of you know feeling like by association to my dad, I felt like there was something wrong with me on a genetic level, like something terribly wrong with me, and a lot of that is fueled from just people's in society people's responses to suicide you know i remember I share this in the book and I remember. I think I was 13 or so, um, going at a, at a doctor's visit, uh, a physical. And normally, when the doctors ask me about my health history, you know what, you know how mother's side and father's side, I would always make, lie about my dad and say he, you know, he died. Maybe say he died, but he died in a car crash. And I remember I was seeing a new doctor, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell the truth. And so I do my mom's health history, you know, mom's side of the family, that's no problem. Then I share my dad's side. And I said, you know, he died, um, died, he took his own life when I was young. And and I I just remember her entire demeanor changing and got, she got very serious and stern and kind of looked me right in the eyes and was like, Sebastian, this is not, you this is something you have to really pay attention to. This is in your genes, you know, you, you know, you're now much more likely to be, you know, to be dealing, to deal with, depression or or suicide as you get older so you re- this is a serious situation you have to really monitor this and I, I i just it totally freaked me out uh i just remember you know never i i, I don't know what her intention was and, it, and there are there's some truth that, that i it's important as a survivor to be aware of these some genetic factors and, and some things like that but i you know if i were to take that to heart i feel you know that's it just reinforces this already kind of victim mentality that I, that I had going on. And so I think it's so tough. Um, I think the stigma is so, so pervasive and so tough. And it, it really keeps people from seeking the help that they need. You know, so I think in terms of, this is nothing new, but in terms of just advice or, or, you know, notes for the listeners, it's just, you know, there's no shame in asking for help, and uh, that, I think mean, that's my number one role with the book. And was speaking about this that to see how much the the stigma and the the shame around mental health and suicide prevents people from talking about it or seeking the help.
0: Exactly, and knowing what you know now, what do you think would have been a better answer from this doctor? How how do you think she could have better handled that with you?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and you know, I think, I think first, I think first it would be empathy. You know, it's like, there was no acknowledgement that this was a, a a loss. And I was at a, you know, at a time where I was you know, super vulnerable, uh, you know, connecting with me and just, you know, being like, wow, I'm very sorry to hear that. I'm sure that was really, really tough. Right? You know, and, you know, so starting with connection, you know, some sort of connection through empathy, you know, and then I think, Uh, That opens, that would open up the patient to being responsive to, you know, yeah, there are, you know, that's a terrible, terrible tragedy. There are some things that it's important for you to, to keep an eye on, you know, uh, heightened risk factors. And at the same time, this doesn't dictate your future. You know, there, you're not, this isn't, this isn't automatically happening because this is in your family. Does that make sense?
0: absolute sense to me it does because again I I, I totally relate to that because after my father-in-law's suicide you know I I kept an eye on my husband like really close (laughs) like don't upset the apple cart here because it might happen again because you know it's contagious or something and I agree with you I think that We do have to make a different connection with professionals, especially, you know, someone in the role of a doctor or a therapist, um, I know I went to I was in therapy for a couple of years after that because I just I had I, I in the whole family I probably had the hardest time dealing with it and it It didn't mm. help that my own father died six months to the day later so you know by oh, that nerd. time I was a, a vegetable on the couch I had to do something yeah. and yeah. so I, I agree with you I think that no matter what path you take you have to not have shame in reaching out for help because if you don't, the alternative is, is just, you know, a life that's, that's not led the way it should be led. And I, I, I commend you for understanding that. And, and hopefully, you know, through your speaking engagements and, and your involvement in this movement um, maybe that can, be something that wall will be broken down a little bit more. Um, so, what when you when you speak, what what audience is your favorite? What what do you? Is there an age group? Is there like educators or college students, or what do you feel is maybe the most important audience to you right now?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I you know I've spoken to a variety of. of audiences and populations and, and the, the group that is that I'm most connected to right now and most passionate about speaking to is uh, young people. And, you know, I think that's uh, mostly high school and college age students. I think they're, you know, a lot of the, um, I think, first of all, just to kind of have these conversations about, you know, whether you're a survivor of suicide or someone who's, who's just, Dealt with mental health issues or, contempl- or contemplated it. Uh, the stigma thing is going to be relatable. It's not just for survivors only. So I think just having these conversations and again doing my work to to break the the stigma and and the shame and so making it easier for those folks to come forth and talk about it. Because you know, middle school, high school, in college, it's, it's such a it's such a tough time to to be vulnerable. And I think that's, you know, that would be, I think that is a big piece of my message is to so just, you know, uh, let down the armor and, um, you know, be, be real. And yeah, I think that, so that's, that's one of the, one of the main things. I think the the other thing is, you know, one of the big themes when I went out and started to talk to friends and family of my fathers, I started to kind of to, hear these same kind of stories over and over again or very very similar themes about kind of how my dad operated maybe his you could say his core beliefs and you know, the, you know one of them was that he he a lot of his sense of self-worth came from things external to him so like his his financial status his status in society his physical appearance his looks his physical ability his prowess in swimming And when those things started to fade, you know, there wasn't much left to, it didn't seem like he had much left to to turn back to or to rely on. And I, you know, especially, you know, in in some of the schools I speak to in San Diego, you know, I think this is common throughout, but there's such a high level of competition and a need to be the best, you know, to get in, you know, you got to, you got to get these grades, you got to play these sports or be in these clubs because then you can go to the, the you know the school you want to go to, the college you want to go to. And this is your, you know, you need to have it all together right now in order to get to the next stage and the next stage. And so I think encouraging young people to find, you know, absolutely awesome to be the best and to, to accomplish wonderful things. That's great. And then also look at where's the motivation coming from, you know, is it just to get the, you know, to get into the school or for the, you know, the eventual pay rates, or is it coming from somewhere within? And I think that's a, that's a big thing that when I speak to young people, I'm, I'm mindful of.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's such a vulnerable age group. And then there, I think, you know, remembering way, 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 way back when <laughs> when growing up, I think yeah. it's also a time of seeking, you know, they, Kids don't know what they're really looking for. They they think they do, and they think they're made of Teflon, and they think, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to me. And you know, we as parents sometimes shield them from those things, which in, in a way is good, in a way it's not so good. I think we need to have honest conversations with kids to allow them to be a part of the conversation and to understand that, exactly what you said, that not everything in life is how it looks on the outside. And to find a way to find some self-reflection without, um, you know, taking selfies and and spending all your time on social media, which seems to be the thing. And and I think, you know, a lot of times, too, the role models have changed so much. The, The kids nowadays have totally Different types of role models than what we've historically seen in the past, and there seems to be—it um, seems to be so much more superficial. Is—I is, guess—is what I'm—I'm I'm getting at. So yeah. by your work and and speaking with generation or that age group, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's time to open that conversation up with them so that they have an understanding of what is suicide. And, and it's not just, you know, I think at that age you think, well, if I kill myself, then I'll get to go up to heaven, sit on a cloud and I can look and see who all comes to my funeral and who's crying Mm -hmm. and who isn't. And it's such a stupid way to think about it. I, I think kids do. I do.
1: Yeah. 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 And I, 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 I totally agree. Yeah. It's, It's. I think just ha- having the conversation that this is not a, this is not a real solution actually to anything. And and in fact, it will do a lot of harm and that will ripple out
0: and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's. And what other kind of, of I, solutions? I, I, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. What okay. other kind of solutions do you offer this age group when you're speaking with them?
1: That's a great, that's a great question. I don't know that I'm, that I'm offering uh solutions. I think, uh, yes, yeah, I don't know if I have framed it that way. I think it's, I think, you know, that the key would be to, um, I think, I think realizing on the one hand, just that we just spoke about that is not a, a viable solution. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Let me let me think about it. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to I didn't mean to catch no, you off no, guard no. on that one. I mean, and, no, 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 You no, 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 know, not. there there may not be real solutions. I mean, I think there are yeah. solutions, but I think each person's solution is gonna be a little bit different. And, you know, right. again, I mean I talk with a a lot of a lot of the programming that I've done in the past has been with victims of, of abuse or victims, survivors of homicide where, you know, a loved one has been murdered or something. And and that's one thing that I have found where resources are available. So much of it is check the box. You know, whatever whatever is out there, it's kind of like, okay, this happened to you, so you go over here, and this is what we're going to do for you, where mm-hmm. my line of thinking is you can't do that. You have to take each case individually. Each individual right. is is – special in their own way and what i might need to get over this or to move on from this or or grow from this is going to be something totally different than you right so I absolutely think, and i think Oh okay, Go ahead. no you go ahead well
1: yeah I, I i'm totally with you and and just you know to, to answer your question a little more clearly is you know and this is going to look different to different people but i think the first thing is with any of this you know in whether you're dealing with losing someone to suicide or something different, some sort of trauma or tragedy, that, you know, facing it is is key, you know, to to face it and it's okay to be, to feel sad. And I think this a, some of this is more specific to young men. You know, it's okay to cry, it's okay to feel the emotions, it's okay to be angry, you know, and, and to feeling the emotions that are coming up. And then to, you know, there's a lot of resources and it's going to look different for different people, but to talk about it, write about it, process it in some way, you know, that could be seeing a mental health professional, that could be journaling, that could be going out into nature or, you know, some version of that. And then, um, and I think really self care along the way and being kind to yourself. This, This is not, this is not, the topic is not easy. And, and so I think, you know, feeling it facing it is important and taking care of yourself as well.
0: Right. And going back to something that you had spoken about earlier with with your father, you know, I think addressing and in, in listening to a lot of the podcasts that I've produced with Sally, I've, mm. I've heard a lot of different aspects of all of this, and it's been very enlightening to me. And I think I'm thankful to be able to do this with her. Um, but what what I'm seeing or hearing is that, you know, we're looking at the older population, like middle-aged men, where the mm-hmm. numbers are increasing. Where can you reach these people? Where can you reach the middle-aged person who, again, like you said with your father, you lose your money, you lose your looks, you lose all of your possessions. What is there left? And, and the feeling of despair comes along. And how do we flip that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. I think you know, and Sally of course is doing some really wonderful work, and and her guests are doing some really wonderful work, um, in in this realm. You know, I think for me it's it's I'm certainly passionate about helping that the older population, but it, it also you know, I look at you know, how do we, how, wh- what tools and, you know, I guess, what yeah, tools can we give young folks so that it doesn't end up like that, so that, you know, they don't end up in the same place, you know, as my dad or many other many others like him. And I think that, you know, a big part of that is it comes down to, you know, for men in particular, or young boys, is that the that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be real and, and uh, you don't have to be this, hero right like as i you know as i described my dad in the beginning i think from the outside it looked like he had everything going for him you know beautiful wife you know awesome job big house by the beach uh you know champion swimmer and on the inside he kept pretty much everything just all his the the shadow side was just being suppressed and and he felt like he could never be vulnerable i think that's that's a big piece uh, and, and a message for, for younger folks and for certainly for for people more in that you know, 35 to 55 or older population as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's kind of flip the conversation a little bit to something that I am totally impressed with that you're doing. And I think it all folds into this whole conversation really well. Nature Unplugged. Tell me about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I, I'd be happy to. So basically, so this is, I teamed up with my, my wife name's Sonia, my partner, and we've kind of created this, the, the, our whole, you know, mission is basically to help folks and young people in particular, um, create healthier relationships with their technology and making sure they're taking time to reconnect or connect with nature. And so, you know, not we're not anti-tech in any way, but just understanding that, building that awareness to, to see you know where is it helpful and where is it not so helpful. Um, so we offer we do presentations, keynotes on this topic, uh, kind of educational uh, presentations, as well as do workshops, and I also do or we do one-on-one coaching with clients as well.
0: Now, is this just in California, or is it open? in other parts of the country or how, how do people connect with this?
1: Sure. Yeah. So right now we're basically just doing, doing stuff in California uh, and with the intention, we're working on a book at the moment and we have the intention to, you know, in the next year or so be, be traveling around and doing more, more talks elsewhere. But, you know, right now, if you're not in San Diego or Southern California uh, you know, we have some resources on our, our website, which is www.nature. And we're going to be offering more, you know, more resources. We're actually working on a podcast and some different things that are going to be a bit more scalable, due to the amazing aspects of technology, of course.
0: So we learned how we learn that technology is our friend, but there has to be time away from it to recharge the batteries i think is the way i put it some days i just have to you know put it all away even though you know this is my livelihood so i can't be yeah. unplugged for too long but you're right i think there has to be a healthy balance and what you're doing with nature unplugged is is perhaps you know, showing people that there can be a balance. You don't have to be looking at your phone a hundred times a day and, and missing out on that one text or one email that, you know, you can look at tomorrow.
1: Right. I think you're absolutely right. Is that I think for many reasons, we, I think our human brains, they need time away from just the constant, uh, the dings and the, you know, the, the, the apps and the notifications and all these things, not to say, you know, we're not bailing on those things completely, but, you know, creating healthy boundaries with them. You know, it, it, it is, it, it, there's, and we, I see nature as the kind of ideal counterbalance to tech, you know, so the more tech time is going to be important to have some time off, off the phones, or off the devices in nature. Just, I think there's a restorative, there is a restorative aspect to, just you know sound bird sounds or you know going to the beach or you know engaging your senses in that way the way nature does it's so wonderfully uh, I think recharging as you put it
0: right so if 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 i signed up for one of your your sessions let's put it as a session what would i expect if i if i were in South, southern california and i came do you have a facility or you know describe describe how how it's working.
1: Yeah. So currently we don't have a facility. So I, I, when I do, for example, if I work with someone one-on-one, most of our sessions are pretty much all of them are out into out in nature. So we'll meet at a park or, or a beach and, you know, do our coaching sessions one-on-one, but in, in nature. So using nature as, you know, and using the environment as part of the coaching Um, workshops, and, and presentations are done often. We, you know, we come into uh, to schools and you know, high schools and universities and middle schools, and mostly it's been around education. Um, and you know, and and either do a presentation or a workshop. And a big part of what we are working on is, you know, we focus a lot on my, some sort of mindfulness practice. So teaching people some some foundational mindfulness practices, really just building the kind of building the muscle of their awareness because that's, I think from a foundational point, the ability to check in and say, wait a second, you know, I've been on the computer way too long or this is too much Netflix or just the ability to discern and be aware of that. It starts with that, that awareness. We focus a lot on mindfulness and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, like a, a breathing meditation, but it could be, you know, but other forms like you know yoga or you know, mindful eating or mindful walking. So, so, building that capacity is really important. And then we talk a lot about, you know, healthy, more on the boundaries with technology side. So what are some ways that people can, can help create a healthier relationship? So one thing we, you know, one more tangible tip that we often offer is, um, you know, creating a, a space in your house where it's tech-free and maybe it's the bedroom where you, you know, buy an alarm clock, keep the phones out, keep everything out. And it just becomes uh, kind of a sacred space where um, it's so easy to get in the habit of, or at least for me, I and, know and this is my wife and I will get in the habit of looking at our phones before bed or first thing in the morning. And just, you know, so creating some more boundaries around that.
0: What a great idea. <laughs> Seriously, a great idea. And do you find that in the workshops that you do or the speaking engagements that you do, how, how often do you run across other suicide survivors?
1: Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it does happen from time to time. It's not a a super common, common thing. Um, and I think there is, you know, there is a relationship, right? If the, the, my work with ashes in the ocean and the book is, you know, it's, it's not the same as Nature Unplugged, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I think it's important to say it, I hope, you know, it's taken it this way, but, that, you know, being, you know, if you're too, if you're too much on technology that that's going to lead to, you know, suicide or mental health issues, you know, it's not the case. I think it's a factor in these things, but it's, it's you know, I think the work with, with Nature Unplugged is more uh, it's just general wellness and, and, and wellness and preventative measures for, for mental health.
0: Right. And, but I can see how one can fold into the other very easily and very nicely, yeah. I might add yeah. that, you know, the work that you're doing with Nature Unplugged, I'm sure is very healing, you know, for survivors, it would be a very healing process for them. And what Advice? Do you have for other suicide survivors? What did you find the maybe the best thing that helped you that you can pass along to them?
1: Yeah, I I think the the number one thing would be to to talk about it or to process it in some way. You know, I think it. I spent a long time, basically from age six to seventeen, not talking about it at all, basically. And so it's just, I think that we know this logically, but if you're in the grips of it, sometimes it's hard to feel it, to to be aware of it, that, um, you know, these things, if you're not processing or dealing with them, they're going to, they hang out and often grow stronger. So talking about it, dealing with it, processing it in some way, and I can be, again, through a friend or a trusted friend or a mental health professional or a group, a support group, you know, I think it's, that is the, as the key to, um, I think, beginning the healing process. You can't do it alone. And then, and then I, I think in addition, like finding, really getting in touch with the, the resources that work best for you. You know, it could be more journaling or it could be more physical activity or, you know, it's, again, finding that the flavor of, uh, you know, that, that most resonates with you. And again, then practicing self-care in the process.
0: Great. Well, tell me, what, what are you looking at down the road? What, what do you have planned for the future?
1: Well, I have uh, doing a lot more speaking around uh, about the book. So, about, you know, speaking to survivors of suicide and, and general suicide awareness and prevention talk. So I'm excited about doing that. I'm going to be doing some traveling and more speaking about that. Uh, and then with Nature Unplugged, mention this well my wife and I are working on a book um, that's kind of a combination of practical skills tips and tools uh, as well as our personal stories and you know we'll dive into a little bit of research you know tons of new research on, on the topic you know um, I think those are the, those are the big things and getting it just kind of getting out and and doing more speaking and, and writing on on the topics of wellness and And suicide uh, prevention and awareness.
0: Wonderful, and I've got to say, Ashes in the Ocean is a tremendous resource. I think. I think. I mean, it's 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 not a hard book to read. I can't say the story was enjoyable, but the as everything came together. It it was good to see how that all happened and happened for you and for your family. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very important book, in my opinion, um, and, and a good resource for anyone who's going through something like this. If they don't know where to turn, what do uh, other people's stories are so important to know that, okay, this happened to me, but it also happened to you, and you survived pretty well. So maybe I can get to where you are. So I think the more I see people like yourself and Kevin Hines is is another good example, being able to get out there and tell these stories and break down those walls of the stigma around mental health and suicide that the conversation will change and things for other survivors will be better. So where do we get your book, Ashes in the Ocean? So Ashes in the Ocean is available
1: on Amazon.com, both in, in paperback and uh, ebook format. It's also available basically on all the other book platforms like Barnes and & Noble and uh, you know, various bookstores and, and platforms aside from Amazon.
0: Are you offering it on your website as well?
1: Do you offer? It's on my web. Yeah. It's on, so my website is SebastianSloven.com. That's S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. The last name is slovin. dot com, and it's on there. It's actually a link to to Amazon, so it's it is uh, it is on there.
0: Yes. Great. Okay. And if if someone who's listening would like to book you for a speaking engagement or come to their school or their event, how would they contact you?
1: So they can contact me through the website, sebastianslowman.com. I mentioned this earlier, but the, the Nature Unplugged website, you can also contact me there. It's uh, www.natureunplugged.com. And my email is Sebastian at Nature Unplugged. And yeah, you know, you know, super excited to get out and, and be doing more speaking. So you know, don't hesitate to reach out. And also if you just you know want to connect and, you know, have a, story or situation. We'd love to continue the conversation.
0: Right. And you can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You're you're on social media. And so I, I encourage people out there to connect with Sebastian. I think his his story is just amazing. The work you're doing is as well amazing. And I can't Thank you enough for taking your time to to come on and talk about the book and to to talk about your work which I feel I feel that you're really growing into it. And I'm so thankful to Sally Spencer Thomas for hooking up with you and, and in turn me finding you to do this interview. So I'm I'm very, very pleased. Is there is there anything else that you would like for the audience to take away today?
1: Great question.
0: You know, I think it just
1: you know, if you're if you are a survivor of suicide or you know, are dealing with this in some one way or the other, again just just having the courage to have the conversation and to, to start the conversation and to talk about it. And I think on the, on the flip side, you know, maybe uh, there's people out there who haven't dealt with this or are curious or have a friend or a loved one who, who is, and I think that, you know, the, the listening piece of this is important too, because it requires, you know, deep presence and, and, and understanding and I think, and, and discomfort at times. So I think being it's going to be uncomfortable to, to share and also, I think having the courage to to listen and not try and just solve the problem or, or change the subject, uh, but just to kind of be be with be with each other, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and and and, Delilah, I just want to say too, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the show, and and it's been a pleasure, and yeah, I'm I'm grateful for for you having me. Oh,
0: listen, this is probably one of, in my opinion, one of the most important episodes that I've done in all the years that I've been podcasting. So I I appreciate you being here and I hope that, you know, you go very far with this story and touch a lot of lives as you're doing. So anyway, keep in touch and we will um, be back with another episode when I feel like it. That's what's nice about doing podcasting. You can do it when you feel like it. And hopefully I've always been able to bring something that you're interested in to keep you coming back for more. And I'll let you know when that is. So I'm going to close out today. And again, thank you, Sebastian. Um, Everyone out there, be safe. And please, please be kind to each other.